Hello everyone, I'm Jamie Bricker. And I'm Carol Bricker. And welcome to Bricker by Bricker. You know, I think, Jamie, you, we can safely say that we've really enjoyed creating and sharing these podcasts over the past few months, and we really are hoping that the information that we've shared has been valuable to our, our listeners. Well, we've enjoyed doing them, Carol, and we certainly hope folks have enjoyed listening. And speaking of our podcast, we will continue to focus on how to help you build a productive partnership between home and school. And if we look back over our last few podcasts, you know, we've been discussing things like what today's classroom looks like and sounds like, you know, how students are assessed in today's classrooms, as well as how their progress is shared with their parents. Which are all key steps throughout the fall for any student beginning a new school year. But today, rather than focusing on assessments and interim report cards, we're going to discuss why it is so important for all students to be encouraged to pursue all subjects with enthusiasm and maybe more importantly even confidence. And I think that's a really important thing moving forward and looking for what is required of students nowadays upon completion. And if we look, you know, there are a lot of different stereotypes or biases present in our world, but I think we really want our audience to, to recognize that today's discussion, we've decided to focus strictly on gender stereotypes and what can be done both at home and at school in order to help eliminate these. Well, we've been talking about a partnership for the past couple of months, and this is where we really need the partnership to come into action, both home and school, the same message. Because let's face it, we're all well aware of the fact there's been gender, gender stereotyping in education as long as we've had schools. Girls have long been considered to be the authorities in literacy, the reading and writing-based subjects, whereas boys have generally considered to be much stronger in the maths and sciences. And then I think if we take it a step further, um, there's also been very impactful gender stereotyping be going beyond academic interests and skills. And if we look at girls, generally they were considered to be quieter, more cooperative, better independent workers, Whereas boys, generally seen as louder, maybe keener class participants, and more easily distracted. And the other big thing, too, is the impact of these stereotypes can linger throughout a lifetime from the earliest parts of childhood, all through elementary and high school, post-secondary, and right into working careers. And, you know, when we make our recommendations, as we have done in previous podcasts, What we're recommending are things that are easy for the family to build into their everyday life and not requiring any big outlay of of money or time because we recognize that Well, time and money are tight. Absolutely. It's it's, it's very busy. They're both limited resources. Absolutely. And right off the bat, and I'm going to be Captain Obvious for a minute, I apologize, but let's stress that there is absolutely no objective data to support any notion that a student's gender correlates to their academic abilities in any subject area. Girls are fully capable of excelling at maths and sciences, just as boys can also be excellent readers and writers. And I'm really glad that you stressed that point there because I think we the podcast would end if, if that hadn't been uh, something that both of us both of us agree on. We have had a major disconnect moving forward. I agree with that. And but we also have to recognize that a student's aptitude in a st- subject is very strongly influenced by his or her attitude. Well, let's face it. We all really like to do the stuff we're good at. Yes, because of course it makes us look good. 
And, the, you know, these attitudes are strongly influenced by messages that both consciously and unconsciously they receive from, you know, parents, teachers, and the world at large. And certainly the longer these stereotypes, both consciously and unconsciously, are allowed to kind of grow through our kids' childhood into adulthood, then the longer-term impact gender bias has moving forward as our students get into adolescence, that very kind of, you know, tricky and challenging age where they're trying to find themselves, and it's difficult enough without ha having to battle through this type of stereotyping. Definitely, and, and if we go back to when gender identities begin to be established, we're looking at five years of age, and that they're rigidly defined, excuse me, between five and seven years of age. So really the home, the daycare, and those first years of school combine to address a really critical period in children's lives in terms of dealing with gender stereotypes. Along that line, from a very young age to help break down these stereotypes, it's really important both home and school to really have a critical eye on what toys are available for our kids to play with. All children need to be encouraged to play with all types of toys, whether it's building with blocks, doing crafts, playing with cars, or playing with dolls. And really important to look at the packaging and how colors are chosen or, or you know, the descriptive piece on the box because that's an unconscious stereotype that's, you know, that's being portrayed to children. Well, it's also, it's a very conscious decision well, yes. by marketers because, of course, unfortunately, gender stereotyping has been incredibly profitable over the years. And if we look, you know, at, at brain development, a child's brain is not yet hardwired at these young ages. So when we look at the nurture versus nature, nurture plays a much bigger role than, than nature at this time uh, for what kids are interested in and how they learn. And it's really important for parents to expose their children to a variety of experiences and a variety of opportunities. Well, speaking of exposing kids, uh, this following anecdote, I know, Carol, we've discussed numerous times over the years, because I think it, it really had an important message for me. And I really, you know, I'd like to kind of stress to parents out there, there's a fine line between exposing and imposing. And my example is, when I was about eight, nine, whatever it was, my grandmother, with best of intentions, for Christmas one year, gave me a year's subscription to Popular Mechanics, even though she knew and I knew I was much more of a Sports Illustrated kind of guy. And initially, when I've told you this story, I took it as she was kind of, despite the best of intentions, overstepping her bounds a bit and trying to impose outside interests on me. But you've got a different take. Well, I just, I said that, you know, she is exposing you to something that perhaps you really hadn't had the opportunity to explore too much. However, we both discussed that maybe a, a year's worth of popular mechanics uh, might have been, you know, a little overwhelming and maybe, you know, a, a single, single edition of it probably would have been a little Absolutely. Better. One magazine to me is exposing 12 months worth was definitely imposing, at least in my lens. <laughs> it's okay, Grandma. Best of intentions. <laughs> So since stereotypes really manifest itself so early in a child's life, it's really important for parents to get a real sense of the structure and routines in their child's daycare setting and looking at how even the daycare is set up. 
uh, you know, is the cooking center or the home center or the block center, are they set up so that they're engaging for all children or, you know, are color stereotypes imposed upon it so, you know, maybe it isn't more appealing? And really looking at, you know, do your kids have opportunities to engage in all activities? And, and you know, making sure that that's the case when you're looking at a daycare setting. Absolutely. And as we previously discussed, one long-standing stereotype has always been that girls simply aren't cut out to excel in the maths and sciences. Well, in reality, any reluctance girls have in those fields is more driven by anxiety definitely than, you know than ability let's mm -hmm. face it they absolutely have the ability that's beyond any question but anxiety is such a major factor especially in grade seven and eight and into high school those kind of once again those awkward years trying to find yourself socially and they've done numerous studies and so on where girls just are really reluctant to really kind of uh, be outspoken and share a lot of answers and do extremely well in some of those maths and science courses and kind of show the boys up because they're afraid of social repercussions. And I think that's why we're really stressing those younger years. Let's break down those stereotypes Absolutely. in the younger years so that then they're not manifesting themselves in the older years. We need to establish a new normal. Absolutely. Definitely. So, you know, some of the research that we've done, we found, uh, you know, a study that did um, a survey uh, around the confidence level of uh, of girls versus boys, and and they really found that in those adolescent years, that that confidence level really dropped significantly for girls compared to boys, and that girls generally in adolescence are much um, more reluctant to take those risks and risks whether it be answering a question in class or even signing up for a new activity or a new sport. So really important for parents to create those opportunities uh, for their daughters to really experience risk and the failure that comes with it. And if we're doing it in the home, we're doing it in a safe, safe context for them where you know they have that support. And that will further carry over to the educational setting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, as we've discussed in prior podcasts, I know several times, the reality is education loves acronyms. And the maths and sciences are now commonly referred to under the STEM acronym. STEM standing for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And STEM subjects have long been the biggest single source of gender stereotyping. And this message that girls are not capable of excelling in STEM-related curriculum has been reinforced time and time again. And as we've discussed, Carol, and I'm sure you'd agree, this indoctrination to me has really started at an extremely young age. And then as you said, it just gets more and more deep-rooted and taken as that's the and, way it is. Yep. And I think then the girls feel compelled by the time they hit their teens to slot into a certain role. And that's really what we've got to uh, get rid of. Get rid they of, deserve definitely. far better. And really, you know, we've said it before, but the fact of the matter is that there are studies that there is no significant difference in the aptitude in STEM subjects between boys and girls. Absolutely not. And I think teachers really have to make a conscious effort in all lessons, not just in STEM subjects, mm -hmm. especially in STEM subjects, to really make sure the girls are having their responses drawn out and included in the classroom. Typically, boys, well, I know from 30 years in education myself, 
as do you, that boys typically have their hands up and they'll pick me, pick me a lot more frequently than girls do. But teachers really have to recognize that and work around it. And make sure there's that equity piece. Absolutely. And we have to really work together to provide those opportunities for girls to confidently convey their knowledge and skills within the science, technology, engineering, and math based on courses in or base courses in particular. And the more girls are involved and excel, the greater likelihood of overcoming this age-old myth of gender-based capabilities. Now, a few minutes ago, Carol, you made reference to the whole concept of risk-taking. And I think, you know, if we go back from risk-taking a little bit to really its core, I think there's some key questions we really have to discuss. Like, how are mistakes treated in your household? What is your, as a parent, what is your reaction to your tri child trying something new? And of course, going through the inevitable struggles initially. How, how, how's that whole process, you know, treated in your household? Are they encouraged or kind of, quote, made fun of in a way or chuckled or whatever the case may be? Or, once again, are they supported throughout? And finally, how do you, as a parent, react to your own errors? And that's really the ultimate question. Well, and question. that's the, the big modeling there because from a young age, kids are going to perceive that errors are bad things if you have a negative reaction. Whereas when, you know, we look at failure and errors as we had or mistakes in previous podcasts, What's important to recognize is that failure is an essential part of that problem-solving process, that first you have to take a risk, and then that risk with trying out a, a theory or whatever, you know, quite often can lead to a failure. And then it's how you recover from that failure, what you do to adapt your strategy and then, you know, work more diligently through the problem so that then you're attaining mastery. If there wasn't an inherent downside to a, a task, then we wouldn't call it a risk. You're right. You know, let's face it. And, you know, we have mentioned this before as well in previous podcasts, but the acronym FAIL, further attempt in learning. And that is really what we need to Powerful. be establishing with, with all of our children, boys and girls. We are all well aware that engineering per se is not taught in either elementary or secondary school, but we just want to reiterate that its foundations for many branches of engineering are very much a focal point from kindergarten all the way through. Well, when you look at, at the kindergarten program, which is very much a hands-on play-based program, so much of that is, you know, taking materials, manipulating them, you know, trying to create something. It fails, you know, you, you, you recreate or, you know, what you've created all of a sudden turns into something else. So that's very much a focus of, of engineering, really. Well, and it also really begs the question, why are four- and five-year-olds so much more likely to take a risk than a 14-year-old? Right. So why is STEM our focus? Well, from a very practical perspective, the U.S. Department of Commerce recently reported that STEM-related career opportunities are growing at twice the rate of non-STEM fields. And also, if we look at STEM, it's very related to innovations, which is becoming increasingly important when competing in a, in a global economy. And we know that girls are underrepresented in STEM careers. And as we've discussed in previous podcasts, excuse me, we're really trying to get our kids, among other things, ready and trained to excel in the 21st century, obviously. And 21st century employers 
have really, I'd say, highlighted three key foci to help ensure our students will be successful in the workplace. And those are creativity, critical thinking, and innovation. And these attributes all align beautifully with the core of STEM. So when we look at how can we then create an educational system where more STEM careers for girls take root. And um, I think we first have to look beyond the curriculum to see what factors continue to perpetuate the stereotypes, both those unconscious stereotypes and also the very conscious ones. And an attitude of genuine gender equity obviously must permeate everything at home and everything at school. So as a parent, we would really like to stress throughout this podcast that parents have every right to address any concerns you or your child may have regarding gender equity issues or gender stereotyping, both in the classroom and in the broader school community. So really, what could parents be looking for you know, within their child's classroom? And I think one of the things is you know, having that homogeneous grouping of boys and girls and to, sorry, heterogeneous. (laughs) And I think what, you know, we have to remember is, uh, you know, the makeup of a classroom is very much determined by the the demographic of the, the school community. So it's not always possible to have that good equity between both, but as much as possible, that should be something you're looking for or parents are looking for as well as looking at how within the classroom seating is arranged and are students working in those heterogeneous groups as well when it comes to tackling uh, math problems or doing group activities or whatever are are both um, boys and girls having those opportunities in groups to talk and and problem solve. Are they having the opportunities in groups in general, but also specifically are the dynamics within each group gender equitable? Yes. I think that's also another kind kind of key subset of that. And also when we look at the reading material in classrooms and at the broader school level, does it convey stories and information related to strong females? Because one thing that we certainly know is that girls who have those strong role models are more apt to pursue um, STEM-type careers. And really, when we're looking at reading material as well, you know, how is it arranged? You know, is there a variety of genre? And I think in most classrooms today, they there is. But looking at how that is organized and how it's displayed, is it appealing to both genders to... Um, you know, I, I think we have a ways to go, but certainly classrooms in that regard are, are miles ahead of where they were years ago. Oh, definitely. No question. And then also looking at what sort of extracurricular activities related to STEM are available. Because one study found that three, about three quarters of girls who participated in STEM clubs and activities um, really understand the types of jobs and the things that they can do with that STEM knowledge compared to about half of girls who didn't have those opportunities to participate in the activities. So really parents can be looking at home what they can be doing as well to support uh, girls in STEM. And I found this great website, which was um, actua.ca, which is A-C-T-U-A, um, .ca, and they had a lot of really great 
um, activities and um, information about strong females. So that would be a really great site for parents to access. And at the school level, it's really important for both the classrooms and the broader school, once again, to really consciously be aware of what guest speakers and what presenters are coming in to perform and share with your kids throughout the school year. And for example, David Bouchard did a brilliant job at a school I was at several years ago. And here's a very well-known, very accomplished male author. And he shared his works and it was a wonderful modeling for our boys that yes, we can be very powerful and successful readers and writers. By the same token, for quite a number of years, scientists in the school has been very popular in all the different grades for elementary school. And most of the presenters are female and most of them come from a strong STEM background. So once again, it's that unconscious reinforcement of yes, I can, yes, I can, yes, I can. Because the bottom line is we all know for change to really be sustainable, it's important for children to routinely see people working and excelling in roles that historically would not have aligned with their gender. And when we, we look at um, bringing in people, it's important as well when we're looking particularly at the younger grades, when we're talking about community helpers, is that they have that opportunity to see female doctors and male nurses and female firefighters. And, you know, it reminds me of when I was teaching kindergarten in the mid-90s. And at that point in time, that's when the labeling of these occupations changed from fireman, policeman, uh, you know, to the non Yeah, I remember that stage, yes. And I know for me, you know, it was, it was a challenge to remember that terminology, but now it's very commonplace. So it can happen, and, and it does, does certainly happen. But a really great uh, quote that I, I had seen was uh, by Sheryl Sandberg, who's the Facebook COO and founder of uh, LeanIn.org. And she said, you know, the word female when inserted in front of something is always with a note of surprise. Female COO, female pilot, female surgeon, as if that gender implies surprise. And what's really powerful was she said, one day there won't be female leaders. There will just be leaders. And I think that is so well profound. And that's well where, as a global community, we really need to be going. And that will absolutely be for the betterment of all. And home also plays a significant role, obviously, in eliminating gender stereotyping. And parents really must reflect upon how are children in your household treated? Regardless of gender, are they treated equally in all respects? As typically, moms are more likely than dads to encourage collaborative play between sons and daughters, or really among any combination of kids, while dads are often fixated on competition and to see whether their son is tough enough. And unfortunately, some of them still perpetuate that age-old, in my mind, ridiculous myth that you know big, big boys don't cry or real men don't cry. And, and, and that type of stuff. Yeah, and that's, you know, I mean, that's just we're, go. we're allowing boys go. to kind of hold in their emotions. And, and that's a, a very natural part of who... Very unhealthy that. to hold them in. And and conversely, I think it's also important for for mums to to have that opportunity to be competitive and to be seen competitive. Absolutely. And dads to be in that more nurturing role. 
So then if we take it a step further, let's look at household expectations around chores. And generally, most kids are responsible for cleaning their room. But, you know, families really need to look at who's cutting the lawn, who's shoveling the snow, who's helping prepare dinner or clear the table. And, and, you know, we need to make sure that both genders are doing those jobs. And it's also important, both at home and school, that rewards and punishments are the same for boys and girls if they commit the same so-called offense. I mean, fairness and consistency for all, with no gender bias. And the same standard of gender equity is obviously, you know, must, must permeate your child's typical TV viewing, movie choices, and as we mentioned earlier, book choices. Throughout all of these different media options, they need to see and discuss impactful women excelling in male-dominated fields. And for example, like Krista Freeland, our Minister of Foreign Affairs, mm-hmm. all the months she's spent yes. in this extremely important trade agreement and how much she's been in the media. She's a wonderful role model, much like astronauts Julie Payette and Roberta Bondar are. They are women excelling in traditional kind of STEM areas and want wonderful role modeling. But I think, you know, there's a lot of media out there that maybe isn't portraying that. And these are wonderful opportunities for families to have some great discussions around what the message is. And it reminds me of when I was uh, working with a grade three class and we were really looking at media and the message within the media. And uh, a prime example was uh, a sales sheet from a shoe store and they were selling running shoes and when we looked at the the males the males are all sweaty they're running they're lifting weights and then the women were portrayed with their running shoes walking and talking and we really need to have those dialogue with our kids that you know these are stereotypes and they're not acceptable and i think another big kind of related issue becomes if these stereotypes based on gender, are allowed to fester and perpetuate over the years, then as kids get older, children can encounter, you know, issues about attitudes and beliefs related to their development of interpersonal and intrapersonal relationships. So in other words, really, how a child relates to others, and most importantly, how that child sees him or herself. And as we mentioned in an earlier podcast, there is absolutely no better use of your time than to cuddle up with your child to share a great book. But it's important to consciously select books on a wide range of topics and really focus on books that have strong female characters. We're all well aware of the fact of the age-old stereotype of the beautiful, helpless damsel in distress waiting to be rescued by the strong, courageous prince. You know, this has served countless advertising campaigns very well. But let's be very clear, these sentiments should have absolutely no basis for reality in either your mind or your child's. So what really it comes down to is what powerful message does this kind of unconscious value system send to your child at this critical stage in their lives, whether it be males or females? All kids need and deserve to live in a world with wide doors and high ceilings. And by wide doors, I mean there are no limitations on what they can try and experience. And in terms of high ceilings, there should be no limitations on how high your skills and perseverance can take you. 
And over time, all of our kids will find our niche, and hopefully be a, that will hopefully be the basis for a rewarding life and career. But none of their pursuits should be impeded in any way by their gender. A really important phrase for me is, we can never confuse ability with opportunity. With opportunity, definitely. Very and, different things. And I found a, a, another profound quote uh, by Ellen Peo, who's the CEO, co-founder of Project Include. And with regards to working on gender stereotypes, she said, we need to understand that if we all work together, it's going to be faster, broader, better, and more thorough than anything we can do on our own. And so as that global community, we really need to be working, Team all effort. of us, Absolutely. to be breaking down these stereotypes. And as she mentioned, makes it better for all. Yes. Well, thanks so much for joining us today for our discussion of gender stereotyping. And hopefully we can all work, keep working towards keeping all doors open for all of our children all of the time. And in two weeks, we will have our next discussion with you on how to help build a productive partnership between home and school. So, looking forward to connecting next time on Bricker by Bricker. <laughs>